DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He's the author of numerous books on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola, as well as the teachings of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, including The Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, The Eucharistic Wisdom of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, the book on which this series is based. A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thanks once more, Chris. This is a particular part of the Mass that so many people can really touch our hearts in such significant ways, in varied ways. In this conversation, we're going to focus on the readings, which are contained in the larger section of the Mass that's called the Liturgy of the Word. Mm-hmm. So we've reached now the, the first of the two central parts of the Mass we have the table of the word and the table of the Lord's body, you know, as the, uh, as the church says. I begin this with a quotation from St. Bernard, so it might be a good way to start this. So he says, let God's word enter your very being. Well, how do we do that? How can we be present to the proclaiming? You know, the, the lector goes up and reads the first reading. If it's a Sunday, we may sing the psalm, and then the lector will read the second reading. We have the Alleluia verse, and then the priest or the deacon proclaims the gospel. St. Bernard says, let God's word enter your very being. Well, how do you do that uh, at Mass? You know the feeling that, and this is really what Venerable Bruno's addressing here, the feeling that we often have at Mass. We're there, obviously, with very good will. We love the Mass with faith in what's taking place. But, uh, and I'm smiling a little as I say this here, if we were asked after the Mass to say what the readings were, what was the first reading? What book of the Bible was it from? Uh, what particular selection from that book was it? What was the Gospel in the Mass? Uh, we might remember or we, we might not. <laughs> You know, how does that deepen? How does that change when we're at Mass? Let God's word enter your very being. Let it take possession, St. Bernard continues, of your desires and your whole way of life. Feed on goodness, and your soul will delight in its richness. Well, let's go back to the Gospels. And we're there on the mountainside above the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus climbs the mountain and sits down, and the crowds of the people, uh, many of them healed by him, others have heard, uh, just great numbers of people from all the surrounding areas are drawn to him. And Matthew tells us in chapter 5 that Jesus sits down. When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And Matthew gives us the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, in all the rich content, Jesus speaks at length. No one leaves. No one moves. Their lives are being revolutionized. They're hearing something they've never heard before, something that's opening up a whole new understanding of their life, of their faith, of their relationship with God, of what they're called to do in this world. They listen with just great attention drawn to his words until finally, as Matthew tells us, he finishes all that he has to say to them 
and then all of them depart. But depart changed, renewed, and filled with new hope. On a different day, crowds also gather, but this time by the lake shore. And Luke tells us in chapter 5, the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Jesus stands by the shore of the lake, and the crowds gather and continue to grow and press in on him, just anxious to hear words like they've never heard before, words that change everything. Fresh, new, alive, engendering hope, answering doubts, clarifying. Finally, the pressure of the crowd grows so great that Jesus has to get into the boat and from there continues to teach the crowds. Elsewhere in the Gospel, we're in John chapter 6 now, after the multiplication of the loaves and fish. Jesus has returned to Capernaum, and he has spoken to them of a bread of life that he will give, uh, that told them that those who eat his flesh and drink his blood would have eternal life. Some find it hard to accept, and they withdraw. And then Jesus turns to the twelve, and he asks them, Do you also want to leave? And Simon Peter answers, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Elsewhere in that chapter, we read that Jesus' words are words of spirit and life. You have the words of eternal life. To whom else shall we listen? To whom else shall we go? Now we are in the next chapter of the Gospel of John, in John 7. It is the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. The crowds of pilgrims go up for the feast, and Jesus quietly goes up among them. And he goes into the temple, and day after day is teaching openly in the temple. The chief priests and the Pharisees send guards to arrest him. But the guards come back empty-handed, and they're asked, well, why didn't you bring him? And the guards reply, no man ever spoke like this man. Something of the words of Jesus pierces the heart even of these guards, let alone the people crowded around him day after day in the temple. Again, of something, sense of something unique. They've never heard words like this. They've never heard anyone speak this way. It's life-changing. It revolutionizes things. And again, it awakens new desires and hopes and new vistas in life. Now we're at the other end of the ministry of Jesus. It's in Holy Week after Palm Sunday. And now again, day after day, Jesus goes into the temple and sits down and the people gather around him and he teaches them. And Luke tells us in chapter 19, verse 48, all the people hung on his words. That line has come to say an awful lot to me. It, you, you have the image of people, if you probably all had this experience in a lesser way at times in life when somebody is saying something of such vital importance to us or so dear to us or so key to resolving a situation or so important for understanding what's happening in our relationship with that person that we um, almost literally hang on that person's word. Uh, we're not aware of anything else in our surroundings. Time doesn't matter. Commitments can wait for another time. All that matters is, is to absorb the words that are being said to us that are so precious, so important, so key for us. That's the experience these people have, obviously to an even deeper degree. As Jesus speaks day after day in the temple and the people simply hang on his words. Now, Venerable Bruno says, live the proclaiming of the readings at Mass like that, like the people on the mountainside, like the people in the temple 
like the people on the lakeshore. So Venerable Bruno says, At the readings and gospel, I will ask for the sentiments and heart of a disciple. And that's exactly what he means. Like these disciples in the gospels, who these crowds who followed Jesus in these various places were so deeply attentive to his words. You know, when I was ordained, again, I smile a little bit here too, because my first assignment after ordination was as assistant to our novice master, who'd been novice master at that point for, I don't know, 13, 14 years and really needed help uh, in the in the job. Although I smile a little bit because uh, this poor priest probably didn't know what to do with this fledgling priest, you know, who was freshly uh, hatched out of the seminary. And uh, what he did do uh, was to ask if I would prepare a set of talks on the role of sacred scripture in the spiritual life and give these talks to the seminarians. Now, of course, uh, like all my fellow seminarians, I had studied scripture over the years of uh, theology, but this was different because this time I was going to be speaking and also because this was not simply a question of understanding scripture, of studying scripture, but of speaking of scripture and its place in the spiritual life. Uh, that commission given to me by the novice master, I still consider one of the uh, real graces of my priesthood. You can imagine, you know, with all the energy of a fledgling priest, I dove into this and I can still see myself across the street from our novitiate in Rome was a one of the pontifical theological faculties. And uh, they got used to seeing me there in the library going through church documents and church fathers and writings of saints and so forth on scripture. I don't know uh, what impact those talks may have had or not had on the novices, but I do know that they changed something, and it's some 40-some years now that has remained with me. They changed something in me because out of it, as I began to see Scripture uh, and personally assimilate the Church's understanding of Scripture through her documents and uh, through the writings of Father of the Fathers, think of St. Augustine, St. John Chrysostom, and, and many others, St. Ambrose, and then, of course, the saints down through the century, Thomas Aquinas and so many others, a new sense of how precious Scripture is and of reverence for it uh, was born within me. And I began to understand this part of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Hours, in a way that I, I'm sorry, the Liturgy of the Word, in a way that I'd never seen it before. And I'll express that with just two uh, one-sentence quotes from church documents. So the Second Vatican Council says this, In the sacred books, the Father who is in heaven meets his children with great love and speaks with them. And this began to open up for me. When we read scripture, what's happening is the Father is speaking to us. He's coming to meet us and with great love is, is speaking to us. What if we had that in mind, you know, when the readings were proclaimed at Mass, let alone in our own individual approach to scripture? And then even more directly, and this is from the general instruction to the Roman Missal, uh, where the Church explains its understanding of the Mass. We read this, when the sacred scriptures are read in the church, so this is the liturgy of the word, first reading, it's Sunday, second reading, and gospel. When the sacred scriptures are read in the church, what's happening? Well, this is what the church says. God himself speaks to his people. 
and Christ, present in his word, proclaims the gospel. And this is where the passages I just quoted from the gospels and the mass kind of clicked together for me, came together for me, and I began to see when, let's say, the deacon or the priest is proclaiming the gospel, the same thing that happened when Jesus sat on the mountainside or by the lake shore, or in the temple, and the people listened to and hung upon his words, that same, that same reality is taking place right now in this weekday or Sunday Mass as the gospel is being proclaimed. I am privileged to be there on the mountainside, or by the lake shore, or in the temple among those disciples, because as the church understands the proclaiming of these readings in the liturgy of the word, Christ present in his word, proclaims the gospel. That's what's really happening. And that's what changed ever since, for me, the my understanding of the liturgy of the word. It, it, certainly some days I am more alive to this than other days, but this is how I understand what's happening in the liturgy of the words. And there are days when this comes alive with a special poignancy. You, you really have a sense that as the deacon or the uh, priest is proclaiming, or the lector, if it's the first reading, you really have a sense of the Father speaking to his children, of Christ speaking to his disciple who is present at his feet as he proclaims his word. Now, this is what Venerable Bruno is saying. Live the liturgy of the hours like this. Be like those disciples. Ask for what was in the heart. and Ask for the sentiments that filled the hearts of these disciples as they stood or sat close to Jesus as he spoke and they hung upon his words, aware of the importance, the beauty, the power, the efficacy of the word that Jesus is saying to them. We'll return to A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Discerning Hearts presents a very special first-time retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher entitled Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese of Lisieux and her family. Are you challenged by the daily struggles in your life? Have your plans for your life changed in ways you never expected? Are you fearful for the future of children, family members, and other loved ones as you see them struggle? Has your trust and faith in God been shaken by illnesses or even the death of loved ones? This retreat is for those who are looking for hope in difficult times. The in-person retreat will be taking place at the beautiful St. Benedict Center in Schuyler, Nebraska, with daily spiritual conferences, time for personal prayer, daily mass, opportunities for confession, and daily holy hours will all be available to you and set in the backdrop of the beautiful, quiet atmosphere of the St. Benedict Center in Schuyler, Nebraska. And for those who can't make it in person, we've just recently added a live webinar option, which will feature all of Father Gallagher's conference talks. The retreat will be taking place between April 7th and the 10th. To learn more about the in-person and webinar opportunity, visit discerninghearts.com. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary 
and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'll share another memory. It's in one sense a small thing, but I've never forgotten it. And this was in 1989. This was World Youth Day. It was the first World Youth Day held outside of Rome, uh, and it was held in Compostela of uh, de Santiago in Spain. There were about 600,000 young people gathered there. And I wasn't there, but I watched all of this on television. And I was watching the the final Mass. This was held on a hillside outside the city in a kind of a natural amphitheater with the 600,000 young people spread out in a semicircle uh, on this gently raised ground above and below them the, the stand there with the altar and where the Holy Father was celebrating the Mass, of course, with his amplified voice reaching all of them. And it was the homily. And the theme for this World Youth Day was Christ's words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, toward the end of his homily, the Holy Father cited those words. And I'm going to read to you what it looks like if you just read these words on the written page. So this is from the text of that homily. He's inviting these young people to adopt what he calls the form of life that Christ teaches us. And goes on to say, this form has been given to human life by Christ. He knows what is within man, quoting John 2.25. We may remember that this was something that John Paul II said over and over again. Christ knows what is within man, knows the human person. And then another theme that he would often quote from Gaudium et Spes, the Council, uh, paragraph 22. Christ, the new Adam, in the very revelation of the mystery of the Father, and of his love, fully reveals man to himself and brings to light his most high calling. Again, quoting the council, as I mentioned. So having quoted these uh, texts, he now turns to this enormous throng of hundreds of thousands of young people before them and says, Dear young people, let yourself be won by him! Exclamation point. Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. As in the remarkable gospel synthesis, the theme of our World Youth Day proclaims. Now, when you read that on the on the written page, 
it's beautiful, it's rich, but you most likely would read through it, just simply nodding to it as you go through it. When the Holy Father actually said those words, after having quoted from the, the Gospel and the Council, and then uh, with this, this plea to these young people, Dear young people, let yourselves be won by him. Christ alone, he says, and Christ alone is the way. Now, he said that with that deep, powerful, masculine, resonant voice that he had. And he said it so powerfully and so deeply from his heart and with such conviction and such desire that these young people assimilate it that spontaneously an applause arose from this whole throng. And the truth, and again, with that same feeling and again an enormous applause from these young people, and the life, and again with that same power and the same response of applause from the young people. They knew, as I knew watching at a distance on television, that these were not just words for this man, that they were the stuff of his life. They, they were built into him at the heart of his faith, that they were filled with meaning for him, a richness of meaning that he wanted to convey to them. And I thought then, I am getting just a small glimpse of what people must have felt when they heard Jesus speak. Now that's the heart to ask for. That, th that Those are the sentiments, Venerable Bruno says, to ask for as the readings are proclaim proclaimed. Now we could talk at length about this. Obviously this would be easier, for example, if we were able to see the readings before the Mass and were already prepared, which is so easy to do today. You can get them on your phone or in just a minute or two of preparation, even at home before you leave home, if you know you won't have a chance immediately before Mass, as we were saying earlier, because of busyness or whatever. Or if you have a moment in the pew, just a couple minutes before the Mass, all of this will be easier. But this is the grace to ask for. This is the space of the heart with which, if we live the Liturgy of the Hours in this way, it is going to become enormously fruitful for it. We replicate in our own experience at Mass what these men and women felt who listen to Jesus in the gospel because that's exactly what's happening in the Mass itself. Now, we haven't even gotten to the liturgy of the Eucharist yet, but I think we can already just pose this question. What if we prayed the Mass this way? Of course, we'll have our ups and downs and our tired and distracted days, but with goodwill and all of our human uh, imperfections and frailties, we were trying to live the Mass this way. What would happen in our spiritual lives? Just another way of approaching the same experience of listening in this way, with this kind of heart. The uh, author Simone Weil, which is spelled W-E-I-L, she died at 34, remarkable life, found her way uh, to Christ and very close to the Catholic Church before she died. Um, St. Paul VI really, really uh, liked her writings and would quote her. And she's worth getting to know. But she has, amongst her writings, a remarkable little essay entitled Reflections on the Right Use of School Studies with a View to the Love of God, which is well worth reading. And the central thesis of this essay is that, yes, uh, we have children go through grammar school and then high school in order to give them the knowledge they need to be able to take up their position in life. But even more deeply, the most profound reason why we ask 
children to go through school studies is because it creates in them the capacity of what she calls attention. You know, through their studies and memorization and the rest, they grow in the capacity to turn their attention to a particular whatever it might be and to focus it on that in a way that is powerfully fruitful in in our lives. And having said this, even more deeply, she says, love most deeply really comes down to the capacity for attention. And she writes this, that love consists in knowing how to look at another in a certain way. This way of looking is, first of all, attentive. The soul empties itself of all its own contents in order to receive into itself the being it is looking at, just as he is in all his truth. The soul empties itself of all of its own contents. So my concerns, my worries, the pressures, I empty myself of all of that and I am singly and simply attentive to, receptive to the person before me with his or her needs and requests or whatever it might be. In order to receive into itself the being it is looking at, just as he is in all his truth. And she goes on to say that this kind of attention is almost a miracle. It's a lovely way to think of the grace of this almost a miracle. That's the grace to ask for as the readings are being proclaimed. That kind of attention, which is really, as she beautifully says, it's at the heart of what love is. You know, to be able to be attentive to another person in that way. Well, that's where Venerable Bruno's counsel to listen to the readings and the gospel with the sentiments and heart of a disciple. That's where it's intended to lead. All of the reflections that you've just given us, Simone Weil and also St. John Paul II, that moment that you spoke of, his homily, if we look at it another way, it's the fruitfulness that was born out from his attention to that gospel and to those readings his attention and reception, and then it came back out flowing and feeding the crowd. I wonder what our individual homilies would be. Instead of waiting to receive one, what would our homilies be if we gave that same type of attention? What is the Lord planting? What is he communicating, communing, essentially, by his presence in this word? What are we receiving just from that sacred scripture? Yes, Jesus' words are always providential, always timely. We have that experience sometimes in a more conscious way when we're at a particular Mass, let's say, and something in a reading speaks immediately to a question that we have, or something in the homily answers a doubt that we have. But that's being offered to us every time the Christ, again, is speaking to his disciples, to his people when the readings are proclaimed. And like, as we've said other times, like everything in prayer, some days we'll feel it more consciously or more directly or more immediately than other days. And all of that is normal in, as everything in human experience is not constant, as an up and up and down. But if we were to try humbly, imperfectly, surely, but sincerely and humbly to be present to the readings a day after day, if we go by God's grace and we're able to get to daily mass, but certainly on Sundays, if we were to to really try to listen to the readings in that way. And as years go by in our lives, just a very rich soil 
of assimilation of, of God's word is going to to grow and deepen and uh, and bless and bless our lives. His words will come back to us more spontaneously when we need them. Things that have touched us as we've listened to the readings this way or have been explained in a homily as we listen to it this way will be at our fingertips more easily you know, in various situations when someone else needs a word, when we need it ourselves in a various situation. This is something that the um, Second Vatican Council says in its document on Scripture, on divine revelation. It's in that lovely final chapter on um, the role of Scripture in the pastoral life of the Church, that the Church warmly encourages every member of the Church to have contact every day with the Scriptures, and so to be fed in this way. Daily Mass, when the readings are listened to in the way that Venerable Bruno is proposing, will certainly very richly respond to that desire of the Council. Uh, we can also, please God, in the individuality of our own prayer, you know, approach Scripture. I'll just add one more thing, that uh, very classically in the Church's understanding of the daily life of prayer, is the practice of meditation. Think of Francis de Sales, for example, who recommends this in the introduction to the devout life. And in other settings, we've seen Venerable Bruno encourage a mother of four children to try to find 15 minutes a day to do this, which in our time could be Lexio Divina with something from Scripture. It could be Ignatian prayer with Scripture. It could be the Rosary, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours. There are so many ways. There are digital ways of listening to the word and so forth. If together with our Mass, we actually are doing this, spending some time in, with God's word every day outside of Mass, I don't, someone will say, well, I don't have an hour to do that. I'm, I'm busy. I'm not a monk in a monastery. And that may well be true. Some of us probably might find that we could do that, but many of us may find that we can't. Could you find 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes? And what might change if we did? So yes, the Mass does not come in isolation. The Mass is the centerpiece of a daily life of prayer. If the Mass can be there during the week, certainly of a weekly life of prayer, it's the real center. But when it is buttressed and supported and accompanied by this kind of personal prayer, um, all the more richly it will, will bless our lives. As we've been doing, I invite us now to shift from a discussion of this particular part of the Mass to an actual exercise of prayer. And since we began the discussion with the Sermon on the Mount, the text that I'm going to choose is the text of the Beatitudes. And I'd invite us now to see ourselves there on the Mount at the feet of Jesus, to be there, to see the great crowd that surrounds us, equally avid to hear the words of this man who, in a way they've never seen before, has brought healing and new hope and meaning to life. And slowly now to hear the words. So our text here is in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And slowly now, and with the kind of attention of which uh, Simone Ve speaks, allow the Lord to say those words personally to us with the prayer that experiencing his word in this way, in this setting, our hearts will be more ready to experience it this way when we're at Mass. 
When he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. You are seated there among them. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, humble, knowing our need for God, trusting in Him. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn. Mourn over sin and evil. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Meek, gentle, not quick to take offense, patient. For they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for holiness, for new closeness to God. For they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. The practice of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart. Interiorly clean, pure, without duplicity. For they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those who reconcile people with each other and with God. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Those who suffer for their fidelity to Christ. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you listen to the readings at Mass in this way, with a disciple's heart, then Jesus' word will become for you as the Second Vatican Council affirms, a strength of faith, a food of the soul, and a pure, everlasting source of spiritual life. You've been listening to A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher. To obtain the book on which this series is based, a Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, The Eucharistic Wisdom of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, visit EWTN.com, the website for the publisher, EWTN Publishing. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our mission of bringing free spiritual formation material to the world. But most of all, we hope you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass with Father Timothy Gallagher.